Hello, friends, and welcome to the Now and Zen podcast. This episode is sponsored by the Goo Goo Sleep Company and by Dream Drive. People, they, they don't dress to get dressed. They dress to, to make a statement about themselves. The Japanese, they think, because when they go out, it's what they are going to show to the world. Their friends, their colleagues, etc. Me, I call them, oh, it's a bit pejorative, it's a bit the image maybe not so nice, but I call them the snail. The they, snail. The snail. They carry, they live in small apartments. So yeah. everything they own, they have it on their, they, they wear it. Oh, they carry it on their back. I don't want to make cliche here, it's not everybody, but still, what they own, they want to show it, so they wear it. They don't want to buy a nice painting at uh, Jumayan. They don't care, they don't invite at home. But they want to buy a nice bag, Jumayan, a little bit out, so there's no more logo anymore, but people recognize that is J.W. Anderson, or they recognize it's Lueve or Chloe, but it's subtle, but they will show it. That's an interesting perspective. I never thought of that. So they don't buy expensive artwork for their house because they don't invite people to their house. Yes. So it's more about impressing others than having personal satisfaction? So it's, in, in, uh, so it's two things. It used to be to impress and to show off. So this was 20 years ago. Now it's more to be part of a community. So you, you, you are dressed like this, your style is like this, you see someone wearing similar outfit or similar brand, yep. then you connect, you are part of the same community. Before, it was all this logo stuff, so you had a Christian Dior, a Vuitton, right. everything, so it was to be recognized. Okay, I own a Vuitton bag. Now it's very subtle. It's subtle. Subtle, yeah, it's very discreet, and, and you see there's no more logo. So it's more a statement for people who know, they recognize, then you belong to a community. Explore Japan in comfort and ease with Dream Drive. Rent a customized camper van to go camping, take nature hikes, relax at onsens, or just discover the many beautiful places less traveled around Japan. Dream Drive has various camper vans for solo travelers and families, and is more affordable than trains and hotels as it's only one price per night. Go to dreamdrive.life to plan your next Japan adventure. Enter the coupon code ZEN and receive a sweet discount when making your customized camper van reservation. Dream Drive, the hotel on wheels. Welcome to the Now and Zen podcast. This episode, we discuss fashion and dog food. Two subjects not usually associated with another, but very closely related to today's guest, Mr. Loic Bizel. Loic started his own fashion consulting business in Tokyo in 2001. He also operates two successful websites, fashioninjapan.com and tokyofashiontour.com. In addition, he started the fashion flash sales site Gilt in 2009. Loic is often referred to by the media as trend spotter and cool hunter. When it comes to fashion in Japan, he is the utmost foreign expert. Recently, Loic founded One Tomo, a direct-to-consumer premium dog food company. We learn about why dog owners are turning to organic food for their beloved pets and how this niche business model is growing in a market with a declining population. Direct from Tokyo, this is Now in Zen with Mr. Loic Bizel. All right, I'm here with Loic Bizel. 
Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Loic arrived in Japan in 1996. In 2001, he launched Le Biz Consulting, specializing in Japanese fashion trends. At the same time, he launched two unique and innovative concept websites, fashioninjapan.com and tokyofashiontour.com, where he offers guided tours of Tokyo's best shopping districts, boutiques, and stores. He has been nicknamed the Japanese fashion scene trend spotter and cool hunter by the media. Loic has appeared on several TV programs from CNN to TV5 Monday, Voyage France 2, the list goes on. Does that hit all the highlights? Anything you would like to fashionably add? No, I think it, uh, it summarizes a little bit what I've been uh, doing in Japan. Maybe something to add is that Back in 2009, I also opened, together with some partners, the first flash sales website in Japan. It was called Glamour Sales. Before. What is flash sales? Flash sales is a limited time discounted inventory sales okay. on a community. So it's not accessible to everybody. You need to be a member of the website. You need mm -hmm. to register. So every day we have about 30, 40 new sales mm -hmm. uh, coming up and it lasts two days to three days. Yeah. And everything is discounted because we are here to clean inventory, to clear the inventory for the brands. Fabulous. I work in Shibuya. Some would say it's one of the trendiest areas of Tokyo. Just walking to my office, you can quickly observe what the latest fashion trends are. So many people are suddenly wearing similar fashion. Just three blocks you will see, for example, four or five women wearing variants of a shiny pleated skirt, for example, or guys wearing knit caps. How do fashion trends work? It's, uh, it's quite interesting because there's... It's a mix. The, the trends are starting from a mix of things. Uh, the first is Japanese. They want to be different. They want to be unique. They like fashion. They like to create their own styles, to become their own stylist, which is quite new. I mean, when I came here 25 years ago, you didn't know what to wear. So you had to follow the magazine and go to the shop. And then uh, you could create the silhouette, but based on the magazine. But there's still a lot of magazines that there's are highlighting fashion. There's still a lot fashion. of magazines, but the, the magazine used to be very influential. Now they are, they are less influential. But, uh, so basically, Japanese, they love fashion. They have money to spend on fashion also. The purchase power is quite high. Whatever is the age, because in, in Europe or America, if you are 15 years old, I mean, maybe you don't have enough uh, purchase power to, to sure. buy fashion. Then the retail structure is also very different from Europe or from, from the U.S., in Japan, you have a lot of what they call the select stores. And the select stores, so it's Beams, United Arrows, Ships, Journal Standard. Uh, so the select stores are doing a real job by going to Europe, going to America, trying to find new brands. And within this new brand, they do a picking, a selection. That's why it's called Select Shop. Mm -hmm. A selection of new trends, new product. And then they put that all together. But basically, they go to see a brand in Europe. They are not going to take the full collection. They will take three pieces, five oh. pieces. How many times a year do they do that? Usually, it's twice a year. I mean, when they, when they can travel. But So the select stores, basically, they go, they source new items, new brands, and they create. Uh, and, and they have this select store. They have a very, very strong connection with the magazine. Therefore, the select stores 
buy product, receive the product, they show it to the magazine, they put it in a magazine, and in the sh and very quick after in the mm -hmm. stores. Yep. So the trends are very fast actually to go from the shop to the people to it's the street on the internet too very quickly and obviously. now on the internet yeah. so it's, so before was no instagram and anything but of course now it's accelerating all this do but all of these select shops buyers do they all coordinate on what they're going to buy and what they're going to introduce to the market yes i mean the, the, it has evolved again but the, the the real buyers from the select stores they were really they had very good eyes to spot new trends Let's give me one example that everybody can understand. Montclair, the down jacket Montclair. 15 years ago, Montclair in Paris or in, uh, in New York was sold as a ski gear on the sixth floor of the department stores. The Japanese select stores bought Montclair as a lifestyle product and put it into the fashion. Mm -hmm. So it was not in the ski, it was in the fashion. And then Montclair started to get a lot of traction towards the fashion people, not the ski people or the sports people. So that's the way the, 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 the buyers are doing. They, they are trying to find new brands and maybe the positioning of the brands at home compared to Japan is different, but it's working and that's the way they coordinate and they do the assortment. But the ski jacket example is something that I don't suppose that any buyer could, any Japanese buyer could go to the U.S. or go to Europe, find another ski brand or a skateboard brand, take it to Japan and say, oh, this is a lifestyle brand. Yes. Uh, that, that wouldn't work for everything, would it? No, it will not work for everything because they, what they are strong at, it's uh, spotting brands with a story, with something to tell. Japan is, is very competitive. The fashion market is super competitive. You have um, millions right. of stores, a lot of brands small, medium, high. And the Japanese people, they don't want to buy a product anymore. If they want to buy a product, they go to Uniqlo. If they want to buy something else than a product, a story, an experience, then they find brands. But the brands has to express themselves through the magazine, the storytelling, and that's how Montclair was positioned at the beginning. So the, the, the buyers from Beams, United Arrows, they say, okay, this is Montclair, that's the history of Montclair. Uh, using uh, black and white pictures from the 60s and, uh, yeah. and then they transform storytelling. The, uh, storytelling it's all about that and storytelling DNA brand value quality of the product yep. this is what is making brands in yeah. Japan and right. that's what the Japanese consumer want when you look at Vuitton Louis Vuitton Louis Vuitton yeah, yeah. 10 years ago or 15 years ago why people were buying Vuitton and I guess it's the same now the first was quality of the brand second history of the brand and third was the design so just to give you the perspective so meaning that the Japanese they are very keen for these kind of brands with a story a heritage a story to tell a quality a know-how and after the prices come after yeah. they're willing to pay for quality exactly between the time the product is in the store and the, the, the trend is in the store up to the trend is in the street is very short there must be a really close connection between the buyer and the mass media. Yeah, well, yeah, well me, I call it the mafia because it's, it, it, it is a mafia. And what's interesting is, is the, the, the trends in Japan are super fast because they, they are mixing the trends. So uh, let me explain. Let's go back to the, the Montclair down jacket. 15 years ago, it was the trends of down jacket and it was Montclair. It was a, it was a reference. And then maybe one year later 
it was a trend of uh, printed uh, print, like uh, check prints. Mm -hmm. So what the Japanese are doing, they are taking the down jacket trends, the print trends, and they are making a printed down jacket. And oh. that's creating new trends very fast that after influence the rest of the world. And it is influencing the rest of the world because when I do the fashion tour, and my clients for the fashion tour, yeah. H&M, Timberland, uh, Lacoste, uh, why they are so interested, it's because it's bringing new ideas. So it sounds like it's almost like a localization. Exactly. It, it is a localization. And then that gets re-exported to yes. other countries? Yes. Yes, because the, me, I see when I do the fashion tour, people are coming here to spot the new trends and basically they buy samples. I, when, you, yeah. when I work with fast fashion brands from outside of Japan, yeah. uh, they come here and they buy uh, two or three million yen of samples yeah. within three days. And then they go to China, make a copy, done. Then it goes back to Europe or America. <laughs> Is being fashionable and being trendy the same thing? No, I think uh, being trendy is to follow the trends. Being fashionable is to be uh, sure of what you are wearing, to trust yourself. And, and being fashionable is more uh, an attitude that you want. Because you can be fashionable on the beach, you can be uh, fashionable at the office, and you can be fashionable when you go uh, skiing or snowboarding, and you can be the same person. To be trendy is to have the latest stuff to go to the beach, to go to, the, to work, and to, to go snowboarding. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you have a taste. Fashions fade, but style is eternal. Yes, and style is unique. For Japanese people, style is unique. Because again, when they, when they wake up in the morning, they think about what they are going to wear. From the shoes, to the, uh, to the hairstyle, to the accessories, to the makeup. Yeah. Do you look at yourself in the mirror? You, it's, it's kind of a, you are confident to go to work gives you confidence makes you feel good I think for Japanese yes you reflect yourself Japanese have their own unique fashion right of course yeah. they are creating permanently their own what's interesting in terms of is for the Japanese consumer and it can be weird to hear but uh, in the fashion they are super open they are not scared by becoming their own stylist creating their own style they are not scared because, and that's very, very different from uh, the States or from Europe, because there's no judgment. So you can be a man, you can wear a skirt, wherever in Japan, people will look, they will maybe think something, but they will not laugh. Right. They will not laugh, they will not judge, they will not say, ah, he's a guy, he's wearing a skirt. There's no judgment. Yeah. So it allows a lot of freedom to create your own style and to be, to be yourself through your, your clothing. That's cool. They say that fashion is cyclical. If something goes out of fashion, just hold on to it. In a few years, it will be back again. How has fashion evolved in Japan over the past three decades? So it has evolved a lot because the retail has changed. So 30 years ago, you had department stores, beginning of the select stores, then the, the cheap fashion, uh, like a hypermarket fashion. And it has changed with the drop of the department stores. So basically what we can see is the department stores dropped because they were not able to attract the younger generation, except for the cosmetic. And in the meantime, the select shop developed, so they took the market share, mm -hmm. mainly for the casual and the fashion. And then what happened is the select shop moved from 
a, a multi-brand concept, so imported concept, imported brands, but multi-brand selection of brands outside of Japan to a more integrated uh, label. So now if you go to Beams or United Arrows, 80% of the collection is labeled uh, United Arrows and Beams. United Arrows and Beams, I'm familiar with those brands. Are they considered select shops? They, they were the, the, the first select shop. But they have evolved now to become their own brand, right? Exactly, exactly. Except for some categories like shoes or bags because it's more complicated, the volume, etc. But yes, totally. They can control the margin, they can control the style, they can control the delivery, etc., etc. Within Beams and United Arrows, they have lots of other brands, don't they? They have sub-brands, but this is new. It's part of the evolution of the retail. So basically what happened is when uh, Zara opened, and then after H&M and Forever 21. And so basically new players, fast fashion players arrived to Japan. They, they, they were starting to eat their market share. So they had to evolve mm. in terms of pricing, in terms of distribution, location, to be able to, uh, to, to compete with, uh, with H&M, Zara, uh, Forever 21. You have Alan that just opened. It's from Korea also. So, so basically what they did is they created sub-brand targeting different crowd, so family, younger, and also in order to put in a different distribution network. Because Beam United Arrows at the very beginning, it was only standalone shop next to your office in, uh, in uh, Jinan and in, uh, in Shibuya, etc. But they wanted to go into the shopping center, shopping mall, uh, train, what they call station building. So they had to adapt their concept. And then, 10 years ago, e-commerce arrived and Uniqlo arrived. All this together, everybody were facing a very tough competition. The arriving of e-commerce and after the arriving of M-commerce. M-commerce. Mobile, mobile commerce. Ah, okay. It's 90% in Japan. That's the evolution in, in the three decades to, to make it short, the decline of the department stores. Then the second part, the growth of the select stores becoming a SPA, so it's integrated, meaning they, they have their own brand. The arrival of uh, international brand and the boom of uh, e-commerce and M-commerce. So that's basically in, uh, in two, two minutes, that's the evolution. You've said Tokyo is like a laboratory for world fashion. What do you mean by that? What I mean is, you know, the Japanese, they are from uh, five years old to uh, 20 years old. They are in uniform and they are wearing the same stuff. At work, now it's changing, but they are still wearing the same stuff. It's very classic. So when they are not in uniform, they want to express themselves through their look. So it can be hairstyle, it can be accessories. Accessories, huge market, bags, jewelry, etc. And of course, the apparel. They, they want to be different. They want to be unique. So they are creative. And they are now not thinking through the magazine. They are thinking through uh, what they see on Instagram, what they see everywhere, mm -hmm. and they are absorbing that and retranslating it to their own style. Meaning that uh, when, when you go to, to Europe or when you go to America, people, they are all wearing the same stuff because there's no offer. You have a Gap, you have a H&M, you have a, uh, whatever you can imagine. It, every city center in the world you can go anywhere in the world, in all the capital, it's all the same shops. Right. When you go to Tokyo, you go to Jinan, you go to Harajuku, you go to Tagotomagawa, you go to a small area, more like local area, you have still a lot of small boutiques selling their, style, their stuff. 
So it's brand, but it's a mix of brand. And you, you have a lot of choice. Then you can create your own style. But when you only have like five big brands, basically, if you are in Paris, you want to buy a shirt. I mean, you, you, there's not so many places to buy something very unique. So you buy the same thing as your neighbor. So at the end of the day, you, 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 have, your own, you have only one style in the street. So are you saying that the fashion options in Tokyo are greater than any other for city sure, in the world? For sure. You look at how many brands you have here. Small brands, boutique, boutique brands. I mean, it's huge. Yeah. More and more Japanese brands, but also uh, tiny brands from, uh, from uh, international brands. And, uh, and, and, and the offer is huge. So other than the sheer quantity in the selection here in Japan, how is fashion unique in Japan? Or another way of saying it, how is it different from, say, Europe or the U.S.? It's unique because people, they, they don't dress to get dressed. They dress to, to make a statement about themselves. You know, when you wake up in the morning, you take the first denim, the first shirt, and then you go to work. The Japanese, they think, because when they go out, it's what they are going to show to the world. Their friends, their colleagues, etc. Me, I call them, oh, it's a bit pejorative, but it's a bit, the image may be not so nice, but I call them the snail. The they, snail. The snail. They carry, they live in small apartments. So yeah. everything they own, they have it on their, they, they wear it. Oh, they carry it on their back. I don't want to make cliche here, it's not everybody, but still, what they own, they want to show it, so they wear it. Yeah. They don't want to buy a nice painting at, uh, at uh, uh, Jumayan. They don't care, they don't invite at home. But they want to buy a nice bag, Jumayan, a little bit out, so there's no more logo anymore. But people recognize that is a JW Anderson, or they recognize it's a Lueve or Chloe. But it's subtle, but they will show it. That's an interesting perspective. I never thought of that. So they don't buy expensive paintings or artwork for their house because they don't invite people to their house. Yes. So it's more about impressing others than having personal satisfaction? So it's, in, in, uh, so it's two things. It used to be to impress and to show off. So this was 20 years ago. Now it's more to be part of a community. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you are dressed like this, your style is like this, you see someone wearing similar outfit or similar brand, yep. then you connect, you are part of the same community. Before, it was all this logo stuff, so you had a Christian Dior, a Vuitton, right. everything, so it was to be recognized. Okay, I own a Vuitton bag. Now it's very subtle. It's subtle. Subtle, yeah. It's very discreet. And, and you see, there's no more logo. So it's more a statement for people who know, they recognize, then you belong to a community. Yeah, because I remember once upon a time, it would be considered fashionable to just have a lot of famous brands. So maybe your shirt was Burberry, Burberry <laughs> and your belt was Gucci <laughs> and your shoes were Ferragamo. As long as you could show that there was a label on each article of clothing you were wearing, that was yes, fashionable. Yes, yes. But not anymore, you're saying? No, not anymore, except there's, I mean, there's always an exception. And again, I, I don't want to make cliche. It's just the evolution, the evolution of the trend. There it's, has to be some truth to stereotypes. Otherwise, they wouldn't be stereotypes. Exactly. But look, look at what's happening with uh, Balenciaga. Yeah. Balenciaga, at the beginning, they're making very expensive clothing for very rich people. 
And now what you see with Balenciaga, the black yeah. hoodies with the white big Balenciaga. Yeah. And the caps. And the caps, and exactly. And the caps and the bag that are the kind of affordable bag. It's a style, it's a statement to belong to a community of, we used to call it, they used to call it a hipster. Yeah. Uh, so it's related, again, it's, it's a community, it's a lifestyle. So it's the people uh, listening to Jay-Z, the people going to this kind of club, it's the people. So it's a statement, they are still showing the brand, but it's less, it, it's a niche. I didn't realize it until now, because I know the brand Barencia, but in the past six months, I have seen probably 20 or 30 people that just wear these black caps that just say Balencia on the front of the cap. Yeah, it's a And, statement. Yeah. But you're saying that Balencia made this strategic move to move from this very high end to, to a to tribe? To a tribe and, and to access. And the idea is to, I mean, when you sell a, ca uh, when you sell a hat, a Balenciaga hat, it doesn't cost the same price as a leather bag from Balenciaga. But you reach a new crowd. And it's, it's, it's obvious here on the niche part. So in Shibuya, in some area, or Aoyama, or some, it's very niche. It's not about the logo anymore. It's about the statement, the, the name. But the name is kind of the logo. It's kind of the logo, exactly. Yeah. But there is an association there. So sure, the bags are super expensive. Just the fact that you have a cab, people think that maybe you also have exactly. the bag as well. <laughs> the bag or the shoes. <laughs> We all know getting a great sleep is important. And this is what Goo Goo is all about. Super comfortable mattresses at very affordable prices and delivered to your home for free. They back up their best sleep ever promise with a 100-night money-back guarantee. Learn more at gugu.jp and enter the coupon code ZEN for your 20% discount. Gugu, better sleep, better you. You've worked with a lot of big names and brands in fashion. Do you have a great market entry story where a client you advised became a success in Japan? I don't want to take a brand if I don't believe in the brand. So going back to what I said before, if a good DNA, a history, a quality, a, a positioning. and So it has to have something to tell. If people want to sell a product, I'm not interested. So I need to understand. It has to be clear. And I, so I have a lot of young brands contacting me saying, oh, I'm a contemporary uh, woman's uh, fashion, uh, loungewear, blah, 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 blah. So you have all the keywords that you read in the, in the marketing keywords that you read and at the end of the day you know, okay so what's the difference between you and uh, the other guy so if they cannot answer usually I don't accept to, to, to uh, I don't accept to represent them here or to, uh, to introduce them to a distributor but uh, well, I, I, no, I have uh, the last one was uh, Ben Simon it's a French sneaker brand Ben Simon it's a very classic it's, it's like the, the French converse So it's same as yeah. Converse, but French. And they have been here with different distributors with uh, some issues that you can face when you have a distributor in Japan, a big distributor, they don't give back feedback, small distributor, they don't have money to develop. So it was, it's always a question of mix and fit. And I think it's the most important for brands to find a fit with the distributor, the Japanese distributor. Because if you don't have a fit, then it's going nowhere. And after two years, you know it's going to, to stop. So me, I always try to find the right fit. And, and it's a good match. It's, uh, ben Simon is a family company, family-run company. 
they started back in uh, 1979. They have a clear concept. Uh, they have a DNA. They have a heritage. They have a quality of the product. And I found them a distributor that is a family-owned. So it's a, it's a family-owned. It's very connected with the select shop, connected with the, with the departments, some of the good department stores, connected with the PR. Still weak in the e-commerce, but that's Shogunai. And, uh, and one example that I have, a funny example, because I've been doing uh, consulting for Timberland. Timberland, the boots. The boots. You see? Everybody knows Timberland for the, for the yellow boots. But Timberland, 15 years ago, they, they wanted to, to explore the apparel and the lifestyle, and, which was relevant. I mean, they have a story, they have something to tell. So they came and they were in Japan and they were trying to sell the apparel made for American. The nice uh, parka, it was very nice product, nice quality. But basically, you could put uh, three Japanese inside the, the m size parka. Yeah. The first thing I told them was like, you cannot sell this size, the American size, it doesn't fit to the Japanese people. But didn't they have a small, medium, large? Yes, but even the small, you could put two Japanese. The oh. medium, you could put three Japanese. Wow. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is like the fit is yeah. super important. We, the body is different. It's the same for denim. It's the same for everything. The, the, the body is different. The butt is different. The, bra, the, the breasts are different. The shoulders are different. The lengths are different. So localization, yes, very important. That reminds me of a story. When I was a buyer back at the department store that I worked for. It was an American brand. And one season, they had these polo shirts. And they were really heavy, heavy material, almost like rugby shirts. But they were really cool, and they were really solid. I really liked them. But like you said, even the small would have been equal to maybe a Japanese extra large. So I bought a bunch of small sizes. And we put them in the shop. And the shoppers would come in, they would open it up, they would look at it, and they would see that it says small, and they'd go, oh wow, this is way too big. And they didn't sell. So what I did, I cut the small label out of it, and I changed the POP to one size fits all, in Japanese, free size. And then suddenly they would open up, oh, it's really big, but it's a free size. (laughs) And they flew off the shelves. (laughs) True story. Okay, so the flip side of that. The flip side of the success stories in Japan. Maybe without naming names, I understand. But do you have an example of a big failure in the Japanese market? Usually people are asking me for consulting when they failed. But it's funny because speaking about Bell Staff. So Bell Staff is a a heritage brand, an English brand belonged before to the same group as Jimmy Choo. Jimmy Choo. Yeah. And the president, who knows very well Japan, is married with Japanese, but he's back, he was back in the UK. And he said, a retail distribution here, we want to expand to select stores, to a more selective distribution, to, bring the, to, to build the brand awareness. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to, uh, to, to check and to find you a distributor that is understanding your brand and that is going to build together with you the brand. So I found a distributor. So after 18 months, we built a special collection. They were going to sell it in all, most of the select stores. And the brand was bought by Ineos, which is an oil company in England. So everything was set up. 
So it was a success. Me, I was super proud to have connected this very good company and to have built very nice collection and it was going to be out in the stores. And, and then the Ineos guy said, we stop Japanese operation. We stop everything. Why? It's too far. I want to focus on England and uh, that's all. Can't control it. You know, I had to do the Sumimasen part to my distributor. Because the apology I, tour. Yeah, I, I didn't want to do the apology like uh, because it was not my fault. But I just, I wanted to apologize because we spent 18 months to build something that was going somewhere and that was going to be successful to uh, zero. It, it was a success story at the beginning and it ended up as a failure. That's tough. Out of your control. Out of control, but interesting, uh, interesting uh, story. What's one thing you wish you had known when you began your career? You've been in Japan now for 20 Japan, Japanese. Learning Japanese. I, yeah, it's a mistake. But I, I came, I didn't like Japan. I, I really didn't like Japan. And I was 24. It was super scary. I, I had no attraction for Asia. I wanted to go to America. I wanted to go to Canada, eventually the UK. Why did you end up in Japan? Because I found a job in, uh, in charge of Asia for Paraboot uh, Shoes. Okay. And uh, so I was in charge of Asia, including Japan, and I was uh, here most of the time. And, uh, and uh, you take a meeting, a meeting for three hours to, order, to place an order for 24 pairs of shoes from a shop. I mean, I was like, come on, three hours for that. I mean, I was not patient. And it's funny because when I tell that to my children and they're like, hey, but dad, you've been here for 25 years. <laughs> I say, yeah, but after I try, after I understood a little bit better when I started my, the consulting and the fashion in Japan, I was always outside. So even though I couldn't really speak, I could still see people and understand people by the way they were behaving in the shop, in a, uh, the couple, you know, the couple in the restaurant, yeah. nobody was speaking and they were not looking at their phone at that time. There were no phones. No phones. But they, they were not speaking. They were just like, yeah. And, and for me, this was all new and all fresh. And that's a good part also. So what made you so passionate about the Japanese fashion industry then? It was so different from uh, France. One day I say, in a, I think it was. But did you a, like the, the French fashion industry? Yeah, I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the French fashion industry, but I was not impressed. And here I was impressed by the people, by the way they were committed, by the way they were knowledgeable. You, you, you ask people in France about the history of uh, Louis Vuitton. I mean, you have maybe a ten percent they know about the history about uh, Louis Vuitton brand. You ask Japanese people, 80% they know about the history of Bart Vuitton. So that's what I like. The fact that they are curious and they want to understand and they want to, uh, they, they want to learn. Yeah. And I think that was quite, uh, it was quite a, of a shock. They really like to learn new things. They're very open to learning new things. Yes, exactly. There's no stereotype. I mean, they are super open. They are very open. They are very like... Uh, True. They want to learn. It's for everything. It can be for champagne. I mean, I remember the boom of champagne. I mean, it was crazy. 20 years ago, nobody was drinking champagne. 10 years ago, all the girls, they were drinking champagne. I want to talk about your new venture, Wantomo. And Wantomo is a DTC, direct-to-consumer pet food, specifically dog food, business model 
called Leo and Leah. So Leo and Leah is the name of the brand. We opened the company back in 2016. We launched in 2000, middle of 2017. It's a premium dog food made in Japan, only sold uh, DTC, so only sold on, the, on our website, with uh, the idea and the concept of creating a community, digital community on social network, and to create a community of people who really take care of their dog. And by taking care of your dog, the first thing you think about is the food. So we, uh, we have a very premium food. All the ingredients are premium, humanitable, made in Japan, sourced in Japan. All the ingredients are from Japan. And you mentioned right on your packaging that it's made in Japan. Why is that so important? Because uh, what's happening in the pet food, it's exactly what's happening in the human food. Everybody is going premium, so they are ready to pay more, but they want to know what's inside their food. Sure. Of course, we are not targeting 100% of the market, but people who really care about their dogs, it's the same as people who really care about their children. They don't want their children to eat McDonald's every, every day. So it's the same. And they want their children to understand what they eat. And we want people to understand what we put in our food. So we are very transparent. Everything is made in Japan, sourced in Japan. When you buy a food that is imported, that has a life shelf value of 12 months, inside you have something cons uh, conservative, uh, powder, preservatives, preservatives etc. Yes. So it cannot be natural. Us, we are natural. Nice. We want to sell the best food, mm -hmm. and we are actually the best food. We did some sur uh, outside survey, and we are 98% of the vets that we, uh, we asked to test the food say that it was, uh, it was very, very good food. Well, Japanese tend to treat their pets as fully-fledged members of the family, and they spend a lot of money on their pets. Yes, and actually, they call, we, we don't call them the owner, we call them the parents. So you are not a pet owner in Japan, you are a pet parent, like dad and mom. You parent. say, I'm, I'm the papa of yes. Rover, yes. or I'm the mama of yes. uh, Biscuit, or whatever yes. your pet's and name your is. And your dog, you call it uh, Nantoka-kun, yeah. or Chan, yeah. and uh, it's same as for, uh, for, for children. It's part of the family, which is, which is uh, understandable, and there's less children, more dogs, and uh, the common part of all these people is they really care, about what they are giving to their dog and, what, and how much they are giving. We have an algorithm that we develop with vets and nutritionists that based on, you have to fill up a dog profile. It's a questionnaire about your dog, uh, breed, age, etc., etc. And based on the answer, we uh, calculate, uh, not we, uh, the algorithm calculate mm -hmm. the daily needs per day in terms of kilocalorie. And then we transcribe we, we transfer this into number of grams of our food based on the okay. recipe etc it sounds technical but uh, basically when you go to a shop and you want to buy a, you want to buy dog food uh, they say uh, on the package back of the package they say the dog is between uh, 3 and 5 kilo you have to give between uh, 80 and 120 grams yeah. so basically you don't know what you do you, you take all the math out yes, of yes, feeding yes. the pets yes it's Everything is very simple for the pet owner. We deliver to your door, doorstep, so you don't need to go to the shop and carry the bag. With a picture of the pet on the packaging? Then the, the cherry on the cake is that we customize the package so that if you have multiple dogs, you know that this food, this number of grams is for this dog. Yeah, that's the cherry on the cake. Other than that, what makes the business model of Leo and Leah 
unique? The main difference is we are D2C, so there's very few brands D2C, and we started like this, so mm -hmm. that was the concept, to start a D2C. Because of my experience, of the, my past experience with the flash sales business, I didn't want to spend millions of dollars in marketing that I did before to recruit people. So I want, what I wanted to do is to create a virality, user-generated content, so mm -hmm. people yes. speaking about us organically, so no need to pay them. Or We wanted to people to believe in us, to try our food, to believe in us, to be satisfied, to be, and to have an experience. We were speaking about experience about retail. With Leo and Lea, you have a real experience from the beginning, when you are on the website, when you fill up your, your dog profile, and uh, when you place the order, it, it, until you receive your box, because when you receive your box, you still have the why effect. It's physical product, but you still yep. have the why effect. Wow effect. Well, I noticed on your website that you have a lot of user-generated content. Yeah. You have a great blog. You have a very good uh, advice. Your marketing is organic and your food is organic. So exactly. that's fantastic. If anybody wants to find out more about Leo and Leah, where should they go? Leoandlea.com. That's pretty simple. Where did the name come from? Uh, the name is... Uh, so I was looking for a name that was quite easy for Japanese. I was looking for uh, something that was easy to, uh, easy to remember, easy to pronounce. I noticed that uh, when I was doing the research before we launched, I, was not, I noticed that a lot of people, are, uh, loved a lot of the dog parents, they were actually giving names that were like uh, children names. Human names. Human names. Yeah. Because I'm French, if, in case you didn't notice with my accent. So I was looking at the top 10 uh, names for girls and names for uh, boys in France. And uh, Leo, I mean, Lea for girls and Leo for boys were in the top 10. Oh. So I, it came like that. And then visually speaking, I, we could, I, I could imagine we could work on some design, some Definitely. graphic and, uh, and easy to pronounce. So yeah, the, basically the name came from that. What is your favorite Japanese word which doesn't have a really solid English or maybe French translation? Yeah, I like shogunai. Why is that? You know, after the earthquake, after the tsunami, and uh, so we had to stop the operation I, because we are, we are doing flash sales. So flash sales, you need to you need to take the picture, you need to do everything. So. I, so in terms of operation, it was very complicated. In terms of logistics, it was complicated. We could not deliver in some areas. It was very, and we were not in a mood of asking people to buy discount product. Honestly speaking, so um, and I liked the idea. I, I liked when um, probably like a, a week, how people. So we, it was. I mean, you were here in terms of human resource. It's something you are not prepared. Right. Basically, all the business school, everything you can do, the studies, you are, they don't speak about that. So after we restarted, probably like two or three weeks after, we, start, we restarted the operations slowly. And me, I was very worried, like everybody, uh, about the Fukushima. And I remember all the Japanese, they were telling me, they were worried. They, they, they were very worried. But they were telling me, Shogunai, we cannot do anything. Yeah, can't be helped. It can be helped. We cannot do anything. Beyond our control. Exactly. Just deal with it. Deal with it. Uh, Shogunai. It's very Asian. You know, it's not only Japan. Because yeah. 
you know, in, in Thailand, in Phuket, when they had the tsunami, it was the same. The next day, they were rebuilding. It's not really giving up. It's just no. acknowledging that there's maybe a higher power. Exactly. Mother nature. Exactly. It's going to do exactly its this. thing. And there's really nothing you can do about it and just no. deal with it. You deal with it and you move with it. And you accept. Adapt. And you move with it. Yeah, you adapt. And this is something that in France... You have a big problem. You you speak about the big problem for years without thinking about okay, what is the solution? You just well, complain about it. You just complain about it. Yeah. Is there anything that you would like to mention or talk about before we finish? No, I think it was uh, very interesting. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You for that there's one maybe one thing I would like to say is that people they think they understand Japan from the outside the, I'm speaking as a consultant here so people they came and they, they came three times to Tokyo and they think they know everything about Japan but Japan is very even for gaijin for foreigners even after 30 years even if like you you speak pera pera Japanese I think it's still very very complex to understand it's very dynamic it's very complex And it, it's uh, and that's why it's so interesting at the end of the day. That's why it's so interesting. And it's one of the reasons why we love living here. Exactly. Loic, thank you very much for Cheers. your time today. Kampai. And Kampai. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, man. And that was Japan fashion expert Loic Bizel. Be sure to check out his main website, Le Biz Consulting. Lebiz is spelled L-E-B-I-Z, which has links to all his other fashion-related sites. If you are a dog owner and love and want the best for your pup, be sure to look up leoandalia.com. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star rating or comment on iTunes or anywhere else you consume your podcasts. We'll catch up again with another Now in Zen episode at the end of the month. Thanks for listening, everyone. 